0: Bokertov, good morning. Welcome to the Aliyah Day. So glad that you're with me. I am so glad to be with you. This is your daily prescription for spiritual and physical life and vitality. I am so glad that you're here. As we say, an Aliyah Day keeps the Yetzer Hara away. I want to tell you, uh, first and foremost, uh, aside from welcome, to be sure and subscribe, if you are new to our channel, please uh, subscribe, click the little bell. We want you to be kept up to date and informed on all the amazing content that comes out from this fantastic learning source. And also, please like our videos. Many of you have been liking the videos and uh, here on YouTube, and that is extremely uh, appreciated and most uh, undoubtedly uh, helpful also i want to say if you are tuning in and you are in and around the tulsa oklahoma area uh, i'm going to be in tulsa with our sar shalom tulsa uh, lapid congregation that is having their grand opening this coming shabbat and so i will be there i will be speaking and participating with the service my family will be there and we have other uh, hcos from uh, nearby locations that are also going to be there and so it's going to be a fantastic time. So if you're in the Tulsa, uh, Oklahoma area, we want you to be there as well and join us in our celebration of the, of the opening of a, an actual uh, Lapid synagogue um, that is taking place. So Baruch Hashem, it's going to be fantastic. And may Hashem open up many, many more Lapid uh, synagogues and houses as the time uh, goes on. All right, Brukashem. Hashem. Let us look at the Parashah Eka, or Ekev. Eka. I was on Ekev earlier. Anyway, in Parashah Ekev, which is from the book of Devarim. And we're going to be reading today the third Aliyah because it is already the third day of the week. Can you believe it? And the uh, passage we're going to be looking at is from the book of Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 9, verses 4 through verse 29. This is um, principally about the story of the golden calf. So let's read, and then we'll jump right into our, uh, the commentary. It says, Do not say in your heart when Adonai pushes them away from before you, talking about the nations and the uh, land of Canaan. Don't say... Because of my righteousness did Adonai bring me to possess this land, and because of the wickedness of these nations did Adonai drive them away from before you. Not because of your righteousness and the uprightness of your heart are you coming to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of these nations did Adonai your God drive them away from before you. And in order to establish the word that Adonai swore to your forefathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, And to Jacob. So it says, And you should know that not because of your righteousness does Adonai your God give you this good land to possess it, for you are a stiff-necked people. So we should never say that it's because of our righteousness, it's because of our good deeds, that God blesses us, but rather we are a stiff-necked people. We don't deserve anything. This is why uh, it says in one of the letters, While you were still sinners, sinning, Mashiach, died for you. He died for me. He, he didn't die, I was not a righteous Zadok when Mashiach died for me. Verse 7, Remember, do not forget that you provoked Adonai your God in the wilderness from the day you left the land of Mitzrayim until your arrival at this place. You have been rebels. You have been uh, rebels against Adonai. And in Horeb you provoked Adonai and Adonai became angry with you to destroy you. When I ascended the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant, that Adonai seal with you, and I remain on the, on the mountain for forty days and forty nights, bread I did not eat, and water I did not drink. And Adonai gave me the two stone tablets inscribed with the finger of Adonai on them, were all the words of, that Adonai spoke with you on the mountain from the midst of the fire on the day of the congregation. To just point out that uh, the original stone tablets, the ones that God made, had the entire Torah on them, not just the Ten Commandments. They had the entire Torah, and some say front and back. Verse 11, it was at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that Adonai gave me the two stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant, when Adonai said to me, arise, descend quickly from here, for your people that you took out of Egypt have become corrupt." They have strayed quickly from the way that I commanded them. They have made themselves a molten image. And Adonai said to me, saying, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Release me, and I shall destroy them and erase their name from under the heaven. And I shall make you a mightier, more numerous nation than they. So I turned and descended from the mountain as Adonai, as the mountain was burning rather in fire. And the two, two stone tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. Then I saw and behold, you had sinned to Adonai your God. You made yourself a molten calf. You strayed quickly from the way that Adonai commanded you. Now, just to point something out here that we've mentioned numerous times over the years. One of the um, most popular sermons that is taught in religious circles is that when the law came that 3,000 people died, And that when grace came in Acts 2, 3,000 people were born again. And so there is this false dichotomy that's put together that says that the law brings death and grace brings life, which is a, uh, if you really think about that for a moment, that is an extremely heretical thing to say. Because the law is what? The the law is the scripture. The law is the word of God. Uh, We're talking here about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is the law of God. Now, the law of God also encompasses not just the literal Torah, but also the words of the prophets, also the writings. In other words, the law of God is the entire scripture. Really, it's everything that emanates from the mouth of God is the law of God. And so, when people teach that when the law came, 3,000 people died, as if that's a good thing, what they're saying is that when the word of God comes, when the scripture comes, when the Holy Writ comes, when the word that emanates from mouth comes, it brings death. Hasve Shalom. Think about that for a moment. If that were true, my friends, then why, as religious leaders, would we be, would we be teaching the Scripture? If Scripture brings death, Hasve Shalom, then why would we be in the business, quote-unquote, that we find ourselves? In which we find ourselves? To use proper English. It's insane. That is an insane position. Not only is it insane, but it's also not true, naturally. It's not true historically, is what, I'm, what I mean. And that is to say, as we read the story here, as we read in the book of Exodus itself, when this actually happened, we find that the Torah had not yet come, and the people were already dancing around the golden calf. So, in fact, it is fundamentally, historically, chronologically not true to suggest, imply, infer, insinuate that when the Torah came, it brought death. No, in fact, the Torah had not yet come. And it's very critical. We're going to learn uh, prayerfully uh, in just a moment um, some insights r- related to that and why that's so important and the implications therein, the implications about Mashiach and so on. Verse 17. I grasped the two tablets and threw them from my two hands and I smashed them before your eyes. Then I, then I threw myself down before Adonai as the first time, 40 days and 40 nights. Bread I did not eat and water I did not drink because of your entire sin that you committed to do that which is evil in the eyes of Adonai to anger him. For I was terrified of the wrath and the blazing anger with which Adonai had been provoked against you to destroy you. And Adonai hearkened to me at that time as well. And Adonai became very angry with Aaron to destroy him. So I prayed also for Aaron at that time. Your sin that you committed, the calf I took and burned in the fire. I pounded it, grinded it well until it was fine as dust. And I threw its dust into the brook that descended from the mountain. And it says, and in Ter, Teborah and Masa, and in Kirboth Hatava, you were provoking Adonai. And when Adonai sent you from Kadesh Barna, saying, "Go up and possess the land that I give you," then you rebelled against the word of Adonai your God. You did not believe him, and you did not hearken to his voice. You have been rebels against Adonai from the day that I knew you. I threw myself down before Adonai for the forty days and forty nights that I threw myself down. For Adonai had intended to destroy you. I prayed to Adonai and said, My Lord Elohim, do not destroy your people, your heritage, your redeemed, your greatness that you took out of Egypt with a strong hand. Verse 27. Remember for the sake of your servant Avraham and for Isaac and for Jacob, do not turn the stubbornness of this people and to its wickedness and to its sin, lest the land from which you took them out will say... For lack of Adonai's ability to bring them to the land of, of which we spoke of, and because of his hatred of them, did he take them out to let them die in the wilderness? Yet they are your people and your heritage whom you took out with your great strength and your outstretched arm. You know, um, people have said, well, we, we read, I should say, in the story of the Exodus, Let's just go over real quick um, what happened to the Exodus. The Exodus was we were freed from Mitzrayim by God himself. There was, there was nothing that uh, Hashem, or we did rather, to save ourselves. And we were brought through the Red Sea, right? We were brought out of Egypt, I should say, by the blood of the Lamb. The next step after we had the blood of the Lamb salvation was to go to the mikvah, to go to the Red Sea where we were all immersed as it were, in the Red Sea, after we had been saved by the blood of the Lamb, and after we had received the, let's just put it in, in colloquial English terms for those in, in the uh, Los Estados Unidos, after we had received the blood of the Lamb, we went to the, to the waters of baptism. Okay? Now, what happened after that? After we went to the waters of the baptism, what did, what did we do after that? We went to Mount Sinai to receive what? To receive the Torah. For what reason? Why did we receive the Torah? Well, God tells us in Exodus 19, I'm giving you the Torah because you're going to be, before me, a kingdom of priests. That is also to say, a kingdom of ministers is another way that can be interpreted. In other words, now that you are in covenant, and now that you belong to me, as a result of that covenant, as a result of of belonging to me, you now have a new mission, and your new mission is to be a light unto the world, to serve God, to elevate the, the universe to a status of holiness. And in order to accomplish a mission, you're going to need some very important tools. It's called the Torah. Now the people complained and actually said, God, you brought us out to the wilderness to kill us. You brought us out here because you hate us, because you want us to die. Now we talked about in previous, uh, previous parshot. That a lot of times we project on people the struggle that we're having, and in this case, we really hated God, and so we were projecting upon Him hatred of ourselves. We talked about this in the last uh, parasha of, of Numbers, where people that call you a fake, the reason they're calling you a fake is because they themselves are fakers, and they can't imagine that you're true. They can't imagine that you're honest. That you really mean what you believe because their whole life is a lie. So, we learned that. That was the discussion that took place in that parasha. And so, we we look at that and we think, man, how crazy is it that people were telling God, the reason you brought us to the wilderness is to kill us. How insane is that? We, we, We read these stories and we think, how crazy is this? But what does the Torah actually say? The Torah says that God brought them out of Mitzrayim for what purpose? To worship me at the mountain. Well, what was going on at the mountain? What was was the worship of the mountain? Or not of the mountain, but at the mountain? And the answer to that question is the worship was the receiving of the Torah. So the receiving of the Torah equals spiritual worship. So the people said, you brought us out here to kill us. And God said, no, actually, I brought you out here to give you my holy Torah, which means... The Torah itself is a covenant, is a ketubah. I brought you out here to give you a marriage contract, to to make you and I one. The way that God is able to connect with us, in order to, the way in which He's able to unify with us, the way in which He's able to, uh, to, to, well, to to connect with us, is through the Torah, which is why the word mitzvah means to, to connect. Which is why we have Yeshua, the living Torah. He is the the power cord, if you will, that connects the device to the source. Now, today, you have people that have bad theology that says the reason God gave us the Torah, we talked about this on Shabbat when I, I went over Romans 5. The reason that Hashem gave us the Torah is to expose our sin, right? Because the, the Torah brings, brings about sin. In other words, to kill us. Why, Why would I say that? Because the, the wages of sin is death, right? In, in effect, what we're saying is the very thing that, that we said in the wilderness. You gave us, you brought us out of Egypt in order to kill us. Now when we say you gave us the Torah in order to kill us, we're saying the same thing. Does that make sense? Raise your hand if it makes sense. All right. So there's a statement here from the, the, what is this? The Gutnikumash. Don't let the wilderness wow you. You know, I was teaching yesterday downtown at the... uh, at the jail we have a teaching we have, I do a teaching every Monday at the uh at the county jail downtown and we and uh, uh and I do this together we have actually a big class now there's uh in that class there's something near fifteen or sixteen students now that's just in that one facility then we have another facility where there's other other uh, inmates. Not everybody's able to come to the class because there's different issues with respect to that. So anyway, there's a couple of dozen inmates downtown that are learning Torah now. But anyway, I was teaching them and, and I was explaining to them that, that all of our souls existed in Gan Eden and then God throws us down. Thank you, Shimon raised his hand. Thank you, Shimon. Uh, then God sends us down here. And the question is why? Why would he do that? And part of it is because he needs to test our souls, because we're not angels. Not to mean that we're not, uh, we're not angels in the sense that we're, we're evil or whatever, but, but just that angels obey God because they're kind of like, uh, I don't mean to, well, for lack of a better analogy, just think of it more like a spiritual robot. But God doesn't want spiritual robots. God wants to test us to see, will we choose right or will we choose wrong? What happens a lot of times, our soul comes to Olam HaZeh, it comes to this present age, and we get wowed by the wilderness. Just like we got wowed by Egypt. I told the guys yesterday that um, Egypt didn't come to Canaan and kidnap us. The Egyptians, even when we were there, the Egyptians didn't walk up to us and shackle us. We shackled ourselves. The sages teach that we allowed ourselves to be shackled in Egypt because we got wowed by the culture. We took upon ourselves the culture. We got into all the Egyptian games, right? We uh we went to all that stuff and got involved in, in all of it and and all the lifestyle and all the festivities, and we wanted, uh you know we wanted that and, and the the sages even teach that there there were not any um there weren't even any uh, fences around Goshen, there weren't any walls that kept us in. We had such a slave mentality. That we didn't, there weren't even any barriers to keep us confined. That we confined ourselves because of our own mentality. And my, my friends, that is what keeps us bound still today. Our own mentality. We say things like, I could never be Jewish. I could never, why? What prevents you? What prevents thou from thus becoming Jewish, I ask thee? I mean, really seriously, uh, to be to be uh, Shakespearean about it. So it says here, wandering through the desert became, or excuse me, before entering the land of Israel, that great and awesome desert where there were snakes, serpents, and scorpions, and thirst, but no water, is comparable to the current exile which precedes the final redemption. The spiritual desert has the following properties. We are in a spiritual desert and by the way it's saying here before the final redemption this desert is going to become more deserty. And and the the, the problem is that we can uh, start to look around and try to find our our relief from the surrounding community, from the surrounding world. And so as it says, we need to understand the cause of our exile. The reason we're in exile to begin with, the reason that we're in this desert to begin with, is because we rejected God's Torah. So if that's the reason we're here to begin with, then the the remedy is obvious. The remedy is obvious, and that is to to not reject the Torah. Now, man, there's so much to share. There's just so much. But let me let me just because um, I said I was going to come back to this today, and I want to be I want to be true to my word as, as much as possible. I want to come back to the idea of of how to avoid being haughty. This goes back to verse 18 where it says, Remember that it is the Lord your God who gives you the power to get wealth, right? For what purpose? To establish God's covenant in the world. So it says, as far as mitzvah observance is concerned, when mitzvahs are done with a pure intention, the or without, rather, I should say, the pure intention, we miss the whole point. So it says here in verse 14, verse 14, it talks about a commandment not to be haughty. It says, those who act with arrogance are in violation of this command and their sin is regarded as as, as as serious as that of idol worship. According to the Talmud Sota 4b, the sin of haughtiness, my friends, arrogance, is equal to idol worship. Excessive pride in an individual is a manifestation, it says, that the individual considers himself above... The laws of God. This is why it's akin to idolatry. Because when we have excessive pride, then we consider ourselves above God himself. This trait in people is responsible, it says, for delaying the, the redemption. Ha, a haughty spirit, an arrogant spirit, a prideful spirit is the, the primary cause for delaying the coming of Messiah. The Talmud says in Sanhedrin 98b, this is according to Mamloez, the son of David will not arrive until the arrogant people cease to be. To, Mamloes says to avoid the deplorable trait of haughtiness, one should be constantly aware of his ultimate end and compare his own lowly state with the awe-inspiring inspiring greatness of, of, the, of the Creator himself. This is why King Solomon writes and says that better is the house of mourning than the house of frivolity. Why? Because when you're in the house of mourning and you're thinking about the fact that a human being has ceased to be, it reminds you that you one day will cease to be. I was at a a funeral. Uh, I was not officiating this particular funeral, but I was in attendance. And I was reading in my own book, rabbinical book I have on, on funerals, uh, because even though I wasn't officiating, I was going to speak at this one, but anyway, that's beside the point. So as I was reading, there was a quotation from a rabbinic source that really was potentially depressing, but it was, and from my point of view, it was ex- actually comforting. And it was simply this. It's not a profound thought. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I I never thought of that before. But it is interesting. It said that all those who have ever lived and all those who are alive now and all who will live in the future will all die. Now, the reason I found that to be comforting is because death very often seems like a very lonesome experience but in fact it's not a lonesome experience because all of humanity who's ever been all of our heroes secular and otherwise that have ever lived have all died and some that are still alive will eventually die and those who are born in the future will also die now that puts life into perspective because death is a part of life and as a result it, the 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 humble person is the person who remembers that one day, as the sages of Pirkei Volt have said, one day we will join in the ground with worms, and uh, we must understand that that's the fact, and that that we're not eternal, but God is. There is a story of a of a Zadik, um, a, a, Hasid, a Hasidic man, who was walking along the path, and he was rejoicing. And he stopped for a moment and had an epiphany. He looked down at the the earth beneath his feet and he said, Earth, today I am above you, but I do not consider myself haughty or any better than you, because one day you will be above me. So it says... Another comment from Ma'am Loez. Let a man be very humble since his future is but worms. That's what I was talking about from Pirkei Vault 4-4. Any object that is... I love this statement from Ma'am Loez. This reminds me of something that I heard from somebody else many, 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 many moons ago. And I adopted it as my own. And that is a simple phrase that I have oft repeated to myself. In private prayer and that is lower still lower still and here's here's what goes along with that from ma'am Loez. any object that is elevated may fall but an object which is in a low place can never fall yet it can always be raised let me read this again because this needs to go on somebody's refrigerator probably mine any object that is elevated may fall but an object that is in a low place can never fall yet it can always be raised so here's the character traits of a humble man as outlined by ma'am loez number one if he is abused Though he may have a means to retaliate, he chooses not to. If a tragedy befalls him, he accepts it as atonement for his sins. If he is praised for a good that he does, he's saddened because he thinks to himself, I could have done so much better. If such a man is prosperous and lives peacefully, he is kind to those who need his help, and he greets others with a proper greeting. As it says in the Talmud in Erevim 65b, By three things a man is known. By his temper, by his purse, and by his cup. Meaning, does he have a good temper? He's not easily angered. That's a terrible, terrible trait. Uh, by his purse, on, on what and upon whom does he spend his money? And by his cup of wine, does is he a, a wine-bibber? Is he easily... Uh, intoxicated. And if he does drink a little bit, does his personality drastically change? If it does, that's a problem. It says, Even if another had hurt him, he will treat the individual with kindness. And lastly, he speaks quietly and gently to his family and to all those with whom he comes in contact. One who is humble is regarded, it says here, as having performed every sacrifice In the temple one who is humble is regarded as having sacrificed all the sacrifices in the temple the sages say that this is why Hashem chose Sinai Uh, Moses chose Sinai in order to be the place upon which he would he would uh, expose so to speak or Uh, reveal the the tablets because it was a humble mountain and not a high mountain and he wanted to insinuate that in order to receive the Torah and in order to be able to implement the Torah in his world properly that the mountain that would receive it had to be a humble mountain may God help us to be humble people and to avoid arrogance, to avoid anger, to avoid a haughty spirit. Now tomorrow, there is much I want to share about the breaking of the tablets. And it's, there's, there's just quite a lot. And we've, obviously we're out of time already. We don't have time to get to it. But come back tomorrow. Stay tuned tomorrow. We will learn about the broken tablets. It will be stuff that will blow your beautiful, loving wisdom-filled minds. Until then, have a beautiful, glorious, and a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us. Remember to like. Please like, like, like. Lots of thumbs up on this video. Remember to subscribe and click the little bell button. And most importantly, be blessed and come back tomorrow. Shalom. Blessings. Have a great, magnificent, holy, and awesome day. Shalom, shalom.